Paul repeats the story over and over that day. Everyone wants to learn how Passamaquoddy's own Odysseus found his way home. We sank in a storm off of Cape Hatteras. I was the only survivor. When I woke up in the hospital, I'd lost my memory. Then, last week, a strange thing happened. My bed suddenly tipped over. I, I don't know how. But I bumped my head, and everything came back to me. The first couple times, the child would chime in. It was my dragon. He got Paul home. <laughs> Pretty sure I came here on his ship, but... Yes, here's to your dragon, little fella. All day long, Paul is mobbed by every faction of our community. It's not his fault when he loses track of my hand or his arm leaves the small of my back. He needs to satisfy the masses. Soon, he'll be all mine. I've been patient for over a year. I can handle a mere couple hours. The homecoming at last comes to a close, and we all walk arm in arm back to the lighthouse. I feel like bursting into song. Paul has no ship of his own, so he's staying with us. With me. Before his disappearance, the arrangement would have been scandal, but not a soul in Passamaquoddy minded tonight. When we arrive, Lampy encourages me to light the lamp, taking the boy out to find suitable driftwood for whittling. I take Paul up with me to the light. Once we're alone in front of the wick, I suddenly lose my words. They're all trapped in my mind, a flurry of questions and proclamations, thousands of hours of imagination, hundreds of days of grief. Now I have what I missed, and I feel caught in a whirlpool. Silently, I light the wick. The room grows bright, too hot to remain inside. I motion for him to follow me out to the balcony. I lean forward on the rail, and he stands behind me, draping his large hands over mine. My head could lean back, right at his heart, but I keep my weight forward onto the railing instead. Your hands aren't as calloused as I remember. I haven't touched a rope since the accident, save for assisting the captain on the journey back here. What did you do when you didn't know who you were? For months I couldn't even walk, Nora. I was bedridden, healing and out of sorts. Slowly I regained the use of my hands and my arms, then my legs. Other than that, I read, I spoke with other men at the hospital, I dreamt a lot. What did you dream about? When you don't know who you are, when you're both a foundling and a grown man full of years but no history, it's utterly confounding, depressing. I never thought I could feel more awful. But then, when I remembered my life, recognizing how much time had passed. He leans his body into mine, wrapping his arms around my waist. But it's not the life raft I knew. It feels like how the child would run to me when his adoptive family would march into town and attempt to reclaim him. Paul isn't holding. He's clinging. Should we go to bed, Paul? I never want to see a bed again. He pulls back and I turn. He is mostly shadow, backlit by the lamplight, but I can tell he's avoiding my eyes. Who is this man? Where's Paul? He gestures for me to lead him down the stairs. 
confined ourselves in my bedroom, bathed only in the light of the lantern. It's as though we are finding one another in a warm, inviting secret chamber. He has been here many times before, but he stands there like it's our wedding night. He takes off his boots, socks, and sweater. He stands in his undershirt, suspenders, and trousers. Some of his familiar muscle has atrophied, but what's more striking is his stature. It's apologetic and cowed. Do you want to undress? I was hoping you would do it for me. Please, Nora, don't be demanding. I... I'm sorry, I, I didn't think I was. I fumble with my clasps and buttons as he undresses down to his underclothes. His belly, softer than in my memory, bears a new pink scar. I'm standing in my bloomers and shift shirt when I gesture. From the accident? <laughs> he slides into my small bed, positioning himself against the wall in the bed's edge. I remove my bloomers and stand in my shift. I know it's sheer and flimsy. It exhibits the body he used to revere, but he lays there cold and unmoved. I start to shiver as his eyes keep focused on the wall in front of him. Paul, do you want me to keep this on? Whatever you want, Nora. Shame begins to swallow me whole. I am foolish, I am ugly, I am unworthy of love. I move as slow as the deepest parts of the ocean, forcing myself to lay beside him. In a last attempt at reconnection, I place my hand on his shoulder, still godlike in strength. The other hand I slide onto his waist, over his liver, and brush against the scar. No. I remove my hands and turn to face the window. I shut off the lamp. My eyes well up, tears start to melt onto my pillow. It's been a hard year. I can't respond. My throat is choked in resentment. As if I haven't had a hard year? A fortnight passes. I feel like the walking dead, unable to reconcile this reality. I think about my mother. Could I be the sand? Could I be the rocks? And Paul, the sea? I thought I was the sea. It's the second Sunday Paul's been back. We all go to Mass and our neighbors swarm us separately. The women from Ladies' Aid gather around as if I were the town Christmas tree. I don't know if Passamaquoddy has ever had so much excitement as we've had in the last month. And you are the maypole of it all, Nora. I think Lightning Rod would be a more accurate descriptor, Amelia. Mind yourself, Prissy Taylor. I am not one of your students. Across the churchyard, I see old Sean Doherty pat Paul on the back and gesture to me. When are these bells gonna chime for you and Miss O'Toole, huh? She's getting pretty old to be a miss, you know. Paul laughs along. Before I can catch his response, Prissy clears her throat. <clears throat> My time as Passamaquoddy's schoolteacher has come to an end. I have accepted the headmistress position at a preparatory school in Canada. I'll be sailing to Prince Edward Island tomorrow, after the morning catch. Prissy! We haven't had any time to prepare a proper farewell. 
We all know I'm not the sentimental sort. You have to weep without my witness, ladies. It's simply time to move forward on purpose. My face twists in shock and awe. I never thought Prissy Taylor would give up her fiefdom of a one-room schoolhouse. She gives us all a polite nod and moves on to another group of parishioners. A lace-gloved hand guides me away to a quiet spot under an old maple tree. My eyes confirm Paul's placement in the maddening crowd before turning my attention to Mrs. Abbott. Not to worry, dear. Whether he returns to his old self or not, Paul is a miracle. God takes care of him. You only have to help, like the angel you already are. So I take care of him, and my father, and the boy. It's not as bad as all that, Nora. I fear it might be. Caring is our calling as women. God notices. Our reward isn't on this plane. This is women's work. I was certain I was going to be ill. Until the words left my mouth onto the ears of Mrs. Abbott, I hadn't articulated my fate. Endless care to helpless men, grown boys who give nothing in return beyond neglect and abandonment. This couldn't be my life lesson. Not for my Anamkara.